0: Another neat experience, and I'm going to use this question with you, Was with a bunch of young people in Conway yesterday. Three different classes, had them all come through, wonderful, energetic people. And I asked this question of them. I asked it uh, in three or four ways. How do you know that you matter to your church? How do you know that you matter to your parents? How do you know that you matter Um, to your friends, and I had them, they they wrestled with it, and they went up to this poster board, and they put their answers on the board, and I really like some of the answers. How do you know you matter? Now, here's the question I want to ask you, rephrase it for you. How do people know missions matter to you? How do people know that missions matters to Valley View? How does it show up My favorite answer yesterday is this girl, she's from Center Hill. And uh, I happen to have some, I know some connections, so I figured out who she was. Uh, very interesting. And she comes up, and I said, I, she had the one, how do you know that you matter to your church? And she says, because there's a youth budget. And she slaps that thing right on there. Show me the money, baby. Isn't that the answer? That's when you know. Show me the money. And I love that. A teenager, she had that attitude, that CRA attitude. Anyway, so uh, she, she was just, and, th- and that's true. That's what we often think of. What, how much of your budget goes to, to missions? How much is given to missions? Is that how you tell something matters? Would it The line item in the budget? And I do think that's got to be an answer, right? I think in American churches that this mission-mindedness is almost an endangered species because of a couple of things. Not necessarily here. I think if missions matter, yes, it is a budget item, But what really, really, really burdens the heart of people shows up in prayer more than budget. Shows up in prayer. And here's my concern about Valley View is Listen to our public prayers and how often are we thoughtful about the lost of the world in the prayers we make. I want to challenge you to really think about this for your own life because the, the pattern of the New Testament that it shows is that, that, that prayer is a huge part of the whole evangelistic emphasis and we should be praying for the lost world and it should be heard every Sunday in our prayers, that it becomes so much part of us that it just flows out through our prayers. But there's a couple of things, I think, that, that, are, that are what make this an endangered species. One of these is a theological issue. And here's the first problem. Here's, I want you to read this sentence and think about it for a minute. People who never hear uh, or never respond to God with obedience are separated from God and will be lost forever in eternity in hell. I'm not asking if you like this. I'm not asking if you like to hear these sermons about this truth every week. I'm asking, do you believe this? It's easy to say. People who never hear about or never respond to God with obedience are separated from God and will be lost forever in eternity in hell. If you believe that, how, what difference does it make in your actual behavior? Let's say you're hanging around friends and you don't, you, you don't believe this. Uh, you think the, all, that, all that matters is life and the here and now and enjoying and being happy and having your American dream here and all this. That's all that matters. How do you act around people? And then if you really do believe this, how does it make your behavior any different? How does it make your interactions with people any different if you believe this? How can I see it visibly? Now, here's what 1 Thessalonians says. This is just the truth, and I don't like it any more than you do. And sometimes, I've got to be honest with you, sometimes I've argued myself out of believing it. This is evidence. The behavior that the Thessalonians received, the opposition and persecution from the world, that's evidence, he says, of the the righteous judgment. It's it's evidence why God's going to judge righteously in the world, right? You may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just. God considers justice repaying with affliction those who afflict you. What is God's justice? Repaying people who hurt God's people. That's justice, that's God's justice. And he'll grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And here's what happens. in Inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, don't know God, and those who do not obey the gospel of Lord Jesus. That's the same thing. If you don't obey the gospel, you don't know God. If you don't know God, you won't obey the gospel. Those are the two things. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among those who have believed because you believed this. I hate that truth, but it's the truth. And if we really believe it, we're going to act a certain way. I got to tell you, I know that in my head, but that long journey between my head and my heart is sometimes really getting staticky about this truth. Does this count about your kids? Is this true about your kids? If they don't obey the gospel and don't know God, is that going to happen to your baby? Is this your spouse? Is this your cousin? Is this your best friend across the street? If that's true, what should you do? That's my theological issue. That's the theological problem because in our churches, We don't want to hear this anymore. We don't want hellfire and brimstone anymore. We don't want that anymore. Tell me something glossy. Tell me something that'll get my neighbors here. And when my neighbors get here, it won't offend them. It won't hurt them. It won't ruffle their feathers. It won't make them feel distorted in their minds. We want something positive and sweet that they can go home and munch on for a while. And it's enjoyable. I know. I I do too. I do too. But this is truth. Truth. The other problem I think is a political problem. Um, It's the American dream. The American dream is you work hard, you save up, you play hard, you retire early, and you play golf the rest of your life. It's about me and my prosperity, and how I should be. And and it's it's God bless America. And it's sort of like when I heard Trump's uh, inauguration speech, there's parts of it that's resonating. Great. Make America great again. Don't worry about the rest of the world anymore. Let's worry about us. And in that political environment, we are absorbing that in the church too. It's like, it's about us. Let's make the Let's make the church experience great again. Let's spend a bunch on our youth and, and do all this stuff and kind of kind of circle the, the wagons and make sure that we have a great experience. And it's like, what about the lost out there? That's who we exist for. And all of a sudden, God bless America, yes. But you know what God died for? You know what Jesus died for? God so loved America that he gave us. Oh, it's back, back, back. God so loved the world. Well, do I have any responsibility to that world? Do you have any responsibility to the world at all? Or does it make the church great again, in in the sense of our wonderful fellowship and reach? So those are the two problems, I think, are the greatest in the church. And and so I want to offer some antidotes real quick, just some simple antidotes that you can munch on, right? that you can hopefully fend off some of this. Um, Antidote number one, the dream of God. We, we should be burdened with what burdens God. We should be informed most by what God wants, even more than what we want. And even more than what the world tells us we should want. This is what God says. First of all, I urge you supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people. I want you to pray for everybody. I don't want you to to be exclusive at all in that. For kings, those who are in high positions, live peaceful, quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Here's my dream. This is the God dream that should drive the church, even the church that exists in America. God's dream supersedes the American dream. What should drive us is not that everything be pleasant and wonderful for us, so that our experiences are wonderful, and so all our money is spent on us, and we feel loved and we feel spoiled and we feel no, 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 God says, "This is my dream. This is my dream." Kind of like pretty woman. What's your dream? You know what God's dream is? You know what God's dream is? Everybody out there, get in here. And do you know what he wants to put in your head? The same dream. He wants that to drive you. So if that drives us rather than the American dream, what will we do with our money? What will we do with our time? What will we do with our retirement? Will you spend every waking hour on the golf course? Well, you might. But you'll be talking very intently with somebody you take with you. Antidote is acquiring the dream of God. Second is this. Remember the command of God. Maybe for some people the the fact that this is God's dream is not enough to drive them. Well, there is a command too, right? He told his disciples, go therefore and make make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. This mission is for the end of time. This is for every believer from that day forward. This is not just for the apostles. This is every believer who follows them. It's to the end of the age. And so we have two things that you have to do. The go is the real command here. Go. I want you to go. I want you to go across the street, and I want you to go across the sea. Now, for all of us, there's no reason why we ourselves, at no cost to the church, we ourselves can go across the street. That just involves rolling up your sleeves and getting involved in the lives of people. But when it comes to going across the sea, not many of us can go. But you know what? We can work in such a way as to make money that we give to people who can can go across the sea. And that's what we do. That's the command of God, the go part, right? Third thing the role and the value of sacrifice. Sacrifice is at the center of our faith. When we come together, it doesn't matter which service you come on Sunday, the table's gonna be the center focus. By the way, has anybody noticed when we first turned to these little packets, the bread actually was substantive? It had flour on it. Sometimes when I took that little piece of bread, flour. Now I turn it over like this, and I go, because, I mean, it's not even there anymore. It's an invisible bread. What has happened to these people? Somebody write them and tell them, get back to what you were doing before. It has nothing to do with anything. But the value of sacrifice, what we do in here, the reason we come together is because of a sacrifice Jesus made. First in giving up his home in heaven. Then giving up his human rights, basically, to become a servant. And then giving up his human life in the sacrifice he made. And so that, that all is sacrifice. And what he asks us to do, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich for your sake, he became poor. He, just, he dropped it all for your sake so that in your poverty you might become rich. And he says now, in 2 Corinthians, he saying, now I want you to give some of your wealth to bless people who are in need with your financial help. Sacrifice. Sacrifice is something you feel. Does it hurt at all when you give? I, I don't know whether to say in the offering plate anymore. I don't really know how to apply this. Give me a second. Does it hurt when you push that button to send that money to the church? Do you think about all the things you, you could have done with it? I hope so, because that's what it means when you're a sacrifice. I feel it. Because I'm giving to the Lord, I'm going to have to wait a little longer for the Disney trip. Just a little longer. Now, it's not going to put me off for years, but it's going to put me off a little longer. But I refuse. I refuse to bypass that in order to go to Disney quicker. It's called sacrifice. It's, I feel it. But sacrifice is easier to take when you believe in what you're sacrificing for. Let me give you an example of this. And, you know, I kind of rag Melissa a lot, but I'm going to really lift her up. To I've been so impressed with this woman the last couple of weeks. One thing is she's sending out cards. David, for her, it's like I think people are judging me for the words I put together. I don't think it sounds flowery, and they might look at that, and they might critique my spelling or creep my sentence or whatever. If anybody does that, you are going to be put on the screen and used in a sermon, and I am going to absolutely blackball you, and you'll want to go to some other church. Anybody does that. I don't care if it, you know, if there's some uh, not verb, subject, verb alignment. Who cares? Do you know what they're saying to you? But she has. She sent out cards. And I'm just so, uh, but then, here's the real surprise. A couple weeks ago, blood drive. I'm, I'm trying to give blood. I've, I had a terrible time. They did that power red, and I was out, right? They just did something wrong. My arm went real big like this. Now nobody's going to give next time. Uh, it's still black. But anyway, so here we're having this thing. And the biggest thing is, while that's not the official one for Dana Hayes, Dana Hayes is on my head every time I give blood right now, right? And so we're talking about that. And all of a sudden, in the door comes Melissa. She's never given blood in her life. She said, I'll never do that. I kind of like my blood, Now I just don't feel comfortable with this. She comes in here because she believes this is something the church needs to do, and she believes she'd like to help Dana. It's no longer a sacrifice I'm unwilling to make. There's a name attached. Take my blood. And she just, just gargled it all out. And she was fine while I was laying on the floor there doing CPR, right? How embarrassing is that? I'm so proud of her because I'm sitting there going, she knows, I know how she feels about it, but this, was a, this is a sacrifice she's willing to make. And I'd love to see us all Get out of our little comfort zones and sacrifice a little more to where you feel it. And I promise you, you can't out-sacrifice the God you serve. He's trying to tell you that. He's shown you that. But I just don't know that we'll ever see it if you don't do it. The value of sacrifice. A fourth antidote, and i promise you're almost done the supply and demand is what i call it and what i mean by supply you know what supply and demand right now you know exactly what supply and demand is right right you want something in the stores and there ain't nothing there right and all the prices go up because of it in this case supply is the number of workers that are out there to share the gospel with people the demand is the need that's there to to hear the message that's what i'm talking about supply and demand in america I'm going to say in Jonesboro, just from Valley View, we have 500 workers here. By the way, I mean that. I don't mean the preacher. I mean 500 people whose identity it is to go out and embody the gospel before. There's 500 missionaries on this hill going out into a town where the demand is probably not all that high most people have heard it or at least had a chance right so the need at home is fulfilled by the people right here at home you don't need to send a million dollars into Jonesboro to do mission work if you had a million dollars I don't know what we would do locally that would do any good and cause anybody to respond because we are saturated with so many things in this town I guess we could have a fish fry every Sunday and increase our attendance. I don't know if that's the kind of attendance you want. But then you look into the wider world of which we are a part that God loves. It's his dream and his command. And I'm telling you, in many foreign fields, the number of workers is zero or very low. And the demand is amazing. It's like every person in that country or that area. And I'm sitting there going, what are we going to do about that? Do we care about that? Yeah, we care about that. But what are we going to do? Well, there's, there's people. There's people at Bear Valley, for instance, who decide we're going to go into these areas. We're going to train these guys to preach. and We're going to send them out in their own country. very. Cost-efficient way to do it. And we get a chance. We're kind of like at the very bottom of this elevator as they started this. And so there we are. I guess Randy could correct me on this. Myanmar, Nigeria, Kenya, another one in Nigeria. I know there are others, and we get to be a part of this, and your money gets to go to that, and you get to be part of the supply-demand thing. I'm not saying, and I know there's lots of complaints people say sometimes. We need to spend more money at home. On what? We've got 500 workers who can go do the work and who need to be doing it. Let's spend it on the workers who can go to those places. There ain't nobody. And that's the beauty of this, the supply and demand thing. Get it in your head because the supply here, we've got lots of missionaries to fill the demand here. One last one, that's our identity. There's a couple of things about our identity. We love our neighbors, right? We love the people around us. And who is our neighbor? According to the Good Samaritan, it's anybody in need, right? And this is very easy for us to to picture when it comes to hurricanes and it comes to earthquakes and it comes to natural disasters. It's very easy for us to be moved to help people, and we should. What happens, though, when the need is... There's people being beaten up by the lies of the world and they need the truth of the gospel and there's nobody to tell them. It's kind of an invisible need. But it's a need that we see and we know and we've been rescued from. And now our neighbors need that. Are we going to do that? That's kind of an important thing for us to say. Down the street, cross town, whatever. But there's another one. We are also ambassadors for God. This is like God says, you stand for me. Now, this is a word that's used, and we're going to use it. We're going to see it in this verse, this passage right here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, who's in Christ tonight? Raise your hand if you are in Christ. Okay, this is you. Don't sit there and say this is somebody else. It says anyone who's in Christ. I'm about to describe you. So he's about to paint a picture of you. So don't miss this and don't call this a first century thing for apostles only. This is if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The old way of life, gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. This is how we became new creatures. That God reconciled us to himself, gave us the ministry then. When he he reconciled you, he then gave you the ministry of reconciliation. At the same moment that he reconciled, he made you a minister of reconciliation. Because now that you've experienced, you know what it takes to experience this. And to to make people know this. And so now you are a minister of reconciliation. That is, he says, in case you missed it, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them, and entrusting to us, entrusting to us, who? The new creature people, the in Christ people, entrusting to us the message that reconciles people. So we are ambassadors. We are God's outposts in the world. Doing God's work in God's world, fulfilling God's dream and God's command. As though God were making his appeal through us. How does God appeal to a lost world to be saved? How does he do it? The answer through us. It's the worst plan in the history of the world. I do I would send angels i do it myself, but God decided to use us. And if we don't do it, it won't get done. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I like Christian music, K-Love stuff. I find it hard to make it a cappella. I've tried that before. It just... A lot of breezy instrumental stuff, but there's some old stuff that's real cheesy now. But there's this one that keeps ringing in my head that reminds me of this. It's Ray Bolts. He sang this years ago, and here's this vision he has, and it's it's, it goes like this. This is the chorus: Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life. I am a life that's been changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. Here's the second verse. Another man stood before you and said, remember the time a missionary came to your church. His pictures made you cry. You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. This guy is in heaven. And suddenly he starts meeting the people that he had something to do with getting there. The people that he did something, this, in this case, he gave to a missionary, and that missionary used it and reached this person. And now this person in heaven waits in line to thank this guy for his gift because he found out this guy's money is what contributed to his own salvation. It's an amazing picture. One by one they came, as far as the eye could see, each one somehow touched by your generosity. Little things that you had done, sacrifices made, unnoticed on the earth. No one saw it. No one named a building after you. Heaven, though, proclaims, and I know up in heaven you're not supposed to cry, but I was almost sure there were tears in your eyes. It's all these people lined up to say thank you for how you gave so they could hear. I hope when you get to heaven, there's a huge line of people that you've never met and that speak languages you could never understand this side of eternity who are going to thank you for giving of your means so they could hear the gospel in the language of Myanmar and Nigeria and Kenya and Romanian and whatever other language. French and Haiti. Most important thing to me is this when it comes to how do mission, missions matter. I am uh, a Missourian by uh, the grace of God and um, the, we are the show-me state. And the idea is uh, we are very skeptical people and so you've got to prove it by how you actually live. So are you a person who values missions? Are we a church... That values missions don't tell me just show me or maybe I should rephrase this our God is a Missourian God don't just tell God you believe his truth show him by how you live and how you relate to the person across the street and how generous you'll be to the person across the sea let's be mission minded people because we serve a mission-minded God, and it's only because of that that you are a beneficiary of that mission. This evening, if there's anything that you need to repent of, if there's, any, if there's a kingdom you need to change from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light this, this evening, meet Jesus face-to-face. Call him your Savior and confess your sin and be immersed in the waters of baptism, and let's get you a new citizenship and join the mission of changing the world. Do it now as we stand and as we sing.